Our sermon lesson this morning comes from 1 Samuel, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear now God's word to you for this day. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room, and the lamp of the Lord had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel, he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, son, lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord yet, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if you hear the voice again, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end, for I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming the Lord and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called to Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that the Lord told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then Eli said, it is the Lord. Let God do, what's, do what seems good. Holy wisdom. Holy Word. The boy lay on his mat. He heard something. Some voice roused him out of his slumber. It had been a tough time in the temple, his home where he slept. It was a time when both 
the vision was dim in the priest Eli and in the land. And all we know is that when vision is dim, when darkness closes in, there's a haunting sense of anticipation or dread, whatever mood lays its blanket over the place at the moment. Sleep had seemed disturbed all over the place with the cunning, seductive sons of the priests so offending the sacrificial practices that God was put off and ready to put them off as well. And it is at this rather dark time, this time when the world had closed in around Eli so as to smother the light, that we are told that the word of God was rare. Samuel, the voice called. Samuel, the name that means God has heard, holds a reminder of Samuel's beginnings. You may recall it was Samuel's mother, Hannah, who in her barrenness came to the door of the temple and prayed fervently for her womb to be opened up. And Eli, this same priest who sat at the temple door, thought she was drunk and chastised her for such behavior. She said to the priest, I am a woman sorely troubled, sir. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord because I am barren. I will do anything to have a child, and if God grants it, I will give the child to the Lord all the days. Well, with this, Eli realized her predicament and sent her off with the blessing of God on her. And indeed, she conceived. And when Samuel was weaned, Hannah took him to the temple and gave him in the keeping of the temple through the priest Eli. Samuel, the voice calls, and the child makes his way to the priest. The boy came to that chamber of the old priest, rousing him from deep sleep, saying, Here I am, for you called me. And the ancient priest Eli startles awake. I did not call. Lie down. And Samuel obediently returns to his mat. But the voice calls again, Samuel. It's an urgent voice. And again, Samuel goes to the priest and says, Here am I, for you called me. And again, the priest sends him back to sleep. Well, maybe by the third time that Samuel came back to the priest, letting him know that he thought the priest was calling, the priest was wide enough to wake, awake to realize that though his own vision was dimming with time and his own sons had lost any vision for the call of Yahweh, perhaps the lamp of the Lord was still flaring up from a flicker, as it seemed to have been for some time. And so the old priest on this third awakening may have remembered his own call, the voice that summoned his own life. And perhaps he remembered that day at the temple door when Samuel's mother, crying out to God, had said that she would give her child over to the temple for him to be a part of that world. Perhaps he remembered also of his own understanding that sometimes God calls even the very young. Eli must have shuddered 
He pulled his bedclothes close, and in the middle of a very dark time and a very dark night, he instructed the child to return again to his place. And if that voice came again, he should invite the word of God to come. Well, this story of Samuel, though it seems to be sort of an idyllic account of childlike faith, it comes at a time when there is tremendous upheaval in the life of the people of Israel. And what did that voice say to Samuel? God was about to do a new thing. The respected house of Eli would have been, pro which had been promised earlier that they would live forever, will now be punished. And it will be a time of tingling in the ears for the people. What, about is, what is about to happen is not a joyful, uplifting reality, but a disruptive, devastating assertion that Eli has failed. And it's to this scene that the call comes in a season to a na the naivete of a young boy. How quickly we become aware that to be called to be named for a specific task is to be claimed by God is often a spiritually uplifting task, but at times it's a hideous calling. And for to speak to God and for God is often to be summoned to a task that is risky, costly, and challenging. In another time, a time that is many of our own time, another child spoke out. And he said, it's not easy being a king. These words came from Dexter King, one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s sons, and it's quite an understatement. The children of Dr. King grew up at a time when threats came to the King family, when bombing and hoses were set on innocent people, when King's vision for a world where children had hope where the color of one's skin would not be predictive of their life outcomes. When King was gathering with leaders all over the country, including here in Chicago, trying to set right the wrong that had been inflicted and to stand ready to comfort the irascible sin of racism. It was a time as in our scripture from 1 Samuel when the word of the Lord was rare. It was a time then, and it is our time now. It's not easy being a king, said Dexter King. Would he ever have imagined that his father's life would take the shape it did? King was a great preacher, a great teacher, mentor, justice maker, a prophet after the manner of Samuel, whose call it was to launch new tradition of kings in the nation Israel, and also a prophet. Martin Luther King Jr. led in his time through dim days when the inner sanctum of the passion for justice for all God's children was dim, God help King, God help the boy Samuel. Indeed, often the call of God comes through times when the skidding world hears a voice that calls from the upended to the upending. But that night in the temple, it was not 
full cup of affliction that came, but it was a bewildered boy who needed his mentor to help him know the Lord. That night in a dim temple where the lamp was flickering and the night was close and the priest's eyesight was failing, the priest instructs the child like it's his last will and testament, go lie down, and if the voice comes to you, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And that old priest and this old world with its blindness, its flickering light, needs to trust that God is still speaking. In this day, this hour, where is the word speaking to us? Like those times long ago, we live in times of tremendous cunning and craftiness, calculating, and at times we may ask, has the lamp of the Lord gone out? Has the very voice of God that calls out to us gone away? Well, I'm convinced that God is speaking today through the unexpected, and we must listen to the longing and persistent voices of those whom we'd never expect to be speaking God's word. It's often come to me through the generations of young people. It is quite often those who carry the genetic proclivity of a Martin Luther King Jr. and the prophetic proclivity of Samuel. And maybe they don't know the Lord, but there's a power of God speak. I hear in some rap music, in basement bands, in slam poetry and things I can't even name. God is also speaking through the uncompromising vision of wide, wise and courageous middle-aged and older people. And when the boy musters the courage to say the words, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, did the juices start to flow. The Lord told it plain to Samuel, and shuddering in his bare feet in the cracking of dawn, the old priest wants to know what the word was. Yes, quaking in those bare feet, he tells it plain to Eli. And when Eli gulps down the implications of the end of his role and even his life, he uttered, it is the Lord speaking. The mantle is past. It is God's new day laboring to bring some fresh, great light to the people who walk in darkness. In my first sermon here at Fourth Church some six years ago, I spoke of hinge times, where some historians of culture say that every 500 years there's a massive shift in the order of civilization. And it was Phyllis Tickle in her book, The Great Emergence, who said that once in every 500 years, it's like a great rummage sale, an upheaval in the culture and the worldview that shapes our faith. And not unlike the great schism of the 11th century or the great reformation of the 16th century, the tsunami of change is well underway, marked by the postmodern and post-Christian sensibilities of the millennial generation. In that first sermon here, I suggested that we're living in times when the old order is coming to an end, and we stand on a threshold 
glimpsing what might be coming, and the hinges are opening and closing. And now I stand here on my last Sunday with you, and could we have ever imagined what would transpire over these six years together? Through these years in ministry together here at Forth, we've navigated some of the most challenging social, political, and theological and personal days, at least of my lifetime. The enormous toll of the pandemic on the fabric of our life of faith, our outrage at the murder of George Floyd and then the persistent bite of racism, the war in Ukraine and now the Middle East, so many lives lost through violence in our city, gun violence in our country, some of that in our own uh, city where some Chicago Lights children and employees were shot, and mass murders in schools, malls, synagogues, churches, and clubs. Did we have any idea what our life would be like when I was standing in this pulpit six years ago. Well, to be honest, it's not surprising because this world and this, our work and our calling, our response to God and to Christ most often comes out of difficulty. Jesus' work in his lifetime centered often on moments of deep distress, deep pain, deep disease in those he engaged. And in reflecting, as I've been doing over the past days and months, it also seems to gravitate in my own call toward upending moments, wars, yes, global, but also warring factions on campus, to name a few. And indeed, my own call to ministry arose out of a personal tragedy, a rape, that carried with it a boatload of fear and uncertainty, and in the aftermath of that, a voice came to me, not surprisingly, through young people, many of whom did not know the Lord, as we hear of Samuel. They pried me out of a dim space with little vision of scrutiny of whether God was still speaking in this world, and they asked me to accompany them into a new day. And it was at Harvard Memorial Church that students and participants helped me see that I might be a match for congregational ministry. I thought I was the last person to be called to a place like Fourth Presbyterian Church. I was too chaplainy, too hang loose, too impatient with the old order. But as Nanette Sawyer reminded me this week, I said shortly after I arrived that I had little understanding of why I was here, and I guess I had little idea really of what to do, given this is the first church that I ever served. But I've been converted by you. I have come to know the remarkable, hopeful, generous embrace of the truth of God's light shining through you in the dimness of this world. There's a reason that Samuel was called. There's a reason that Martin Luther King Jr. was called, and there's a reason that you, Fourth Presbyterian Church of Chicago, are called by God through the power of the living Christ to bring your energy, your intelligence, your imaginative hearts and love to each other and bring that 
to light. Because what is quite remarkable is that just as the moment when you think the very lamp of God has been quenched by the shivering cold of the night and day, that God, that Jesus' light shines in the dark and the dark cannot put it out. I'm so honored that you called me through the power of the living God for the love of Jesus. And honestly, I step out with trepidation only to be convinced that you never know where God will show up or when God is going to call you to something that is a remarkable surprise. And so I leave with heartfelt gladness and deep, unwavering trust that the Spirit of God will bind our hearts together in Christian love, no matter the distance, no matter the hour, all in God's vast, sweeping, amazing grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, Fourth Church. Amen. Thank you.